small business or multinational corporation, in each organization there are people and players and voices, often multiple people and players and voices. And from different angles and different departments, what do people do in an organization? They share their ideas, they share their proposals, they share their solutions to potential problems. So we need to do a better job of reaching out to the community. We need to switch to zone defense in the second half. We need to do a better job of customer retention or our profit margins are too thin. Whether it's through email or staff meetings or sideline huddles, people on successful teams in successful organizations, they work through their thoughts, their ideas, their proposals. They even work through their disagreements so that they can move forward. And at the end of those staff meetings, at the end of those huddles, whatever they might be, a lot of times someone will say, so we're on the same page, right? I just want to make sure that everyone here is on the same page. From Acts chapter 15, verses 1 through 21, we have an example of how Peter and James and Barnabas and Paul, Christians from Antioch, Christians from Jerusalem, and eventually Christians around the world came to a consensus about an issue and how they showed and they demonstrated and they made sure that we are on the same page. They wanted to be on the same page about what are the essentials of the Christian message. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to trust in Jesus Christ? And they they got on that same page because there were some people who were not on the same page. There were some folks who were teaching something different, something that actually struck at the vitals, at the heart of the Christian and the gospel message. So in God's plan, through conversations and stories, And even argument and debate, these Christians, these early Christians, were able to work through an issue that they faced. And this morning, uh, as we think about this council, the Jerusalem council, as we think about what they went through, I want you to remember something that we talked about last week, and it's this, that God is at work. God was at work at every step, at every stage of what happened in these verses, and they were able to come to a conclusion about being on the same page about the majesty and glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. People from different backgrounds, people from different cities, people from, with different angles on the issue, they came to this conclusion that salvation is by grace through faith. And there's this beautiful summary of it for, by Peter In chapter 15, verse 11, we believe that we'll be saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, just as they will. This message of Jesus and salvation by Him and through Him is at the heart of the Christian message. It's at the heart of our mission. It's at the heart of our mission as individuals who name Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and it's at the heart of our mission as South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church to know Christ and make Him known. And my prayer and my hope is that seeing this vision and seeing this hope uh, can give us joy and courage and hope to be on the same page about the gospel of Jesus. So let's walk through the passage together. And the first thing we see uh, in verses 1 through 5 is uh, Jerusalem, we have a problem. 
Paul and Barnabas have been back at Antioch for some time. You remember they were sent from Antioch out on their first missionary journey. Now they've made it back. They've been enjoying fellowship with the brothers and sisters. They've been uh, preaching and teaching, probably still filled with awe and amazement about what God had done with them and through them. And then these folks came to Antioch. They came down from Antioch to uh, came down from Judea to Antioch, and they were teaching something that was different. Verse 1 tells us they taught this. They came to the church, they came to the Christians in Antioch, and they said, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You can't be a Christian, you can't be part of God's family, you can't go to heaven unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses. That was a problem. Paul and Barnabas, it says, they, they debated them. They questioned what they were saying. Verse 2, after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension, which means this was a big deal, there was a big dissension and debate among them. And after they got done dealing with these teachers, uh, the, the church decided in Antioch, we need to send them to Jerusalem to figure this stuff out. We need to work out whatever issues, whatever problems are going on. So they sent Paul and Barnabas and others. They went to Jerusalem to get to the bottom of this false teaching, this teaching that was at odds with the heart of the Christian message. And one of the things that I think we can learn from this is there are things that are worth fighting for. There are times when we need to say in love and humility and sensitivity... No, actually, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Christianity is all about. I actually see things differently. Most of us don't like conflict. Most of us don't enjoy battling with people. If you do, maybe we should set up a counseling session, talk about that. Um, But here we're reminded that Paul and Barnabas and the church in Antioch, they stood up for, they fought for, the integrity of the message of Christianity. And there are times when we need to stand up for the truth of the gospel. And I'm not trying to to dive into modern politics. I'm not trying to get into what's going on in our world right now. Most of the time, if we do this, it's not going to be on some big major level. It's probably going to be at the water cooler at work, sitting across the table with the parents of the, of the kids that are on your son or daughter's uh, team after the game, uh, talking with your neighbors, or even talking with your family. When are the times when we need to, just as Paul and Barnabas and the folks at Antioch did, stand up for and speak for the integrity of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Another thing that we see as they made their way to Jerusalem, that there are blessings all along the way. I love in verse 3, it says, being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. They, They were going to Jerusalem, but they told people all along the way, this is what God's been doing. This is what God did at Iconium and at Lystra and Derbe. People are being converted. People are being changed. And it says that this brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. People rejoiced. They, they identified with the message of people being changed by Jesus. And they were eager to share what God had done. When they made it to Jerusalem, how were they received? 
Were they given the cold shoulder? Were people not ready to see Barnabas and Paul because they came with an issue? No, it says in verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and and the apostles and the elders. They were welcomed with open arms because they're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're part of the family. And again, it says, at the end of verse 4, it says the same thing that we talked about last week. They declared all that God had done with them. They told them what God was doing. And I bet, I bet you, uh, this message was not a burden to the disciples, to, to Barnabas and Paul and the others. They probably didn't say, well, you know, God's changing people's lives. People are being converted. No, I'm sure that they told this story with joy and excitement. You will not believe what God is doing in Asia Minor, in Iconium, in Lystra, in Derby. You would not believe. It's incredible. God is at work. They knew it. He was working at every step of the way. And they were eager and willing to tell people about how God was working. And I bet you Paul and Barnabas had this abiding sense that God was still working even in the midst of them going to Jerusalem to try and sort these things out. God was still at work. And there are a few things I think we can learn from this. First of all, we need to cultivate, we need to practice talking about what God has done and is doing in our lives. I believe one of the reasons we find it so difficult to talk to non-Christian people about Jesus, one of the reasons is that we don't know how to talk to each other about what God is doing in our lives. Maybe we can think and pray about ways that we can talk with one another about our joys, about our struggles, about the peace that we experience, about the turmoil in our lives, about the wins and losses, about our faith, about our doubts. Learning to talk with one another and share those things can be a big part of us knowing and sensing that God is at work. Another thing that I think we can see here as they made their way to Jerusalem is that God is still working. We can, we can remember and know that God is at work. We can walk with each other through awesome times and difficult times knowing that God is in control. So what happened when they got there? They were received. They told about what God was doing, but there were still some people who said, you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. Verse 5, some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Uh, There were folks who still claim that circumcision is essential. And it's really important for us to see here, I think, in verse 5, that these these were believers. These were people who had been converted to Christianity... But they used to be Pharisees. They were kind of connected with the Pharisee group. And you remember this group in the Gospels. They were the religious leaders. They were the religious... uh, They took religion very seriously. And a lot of times as Jesus interacted with people, um, 
he came face to face with them. They didn't like his message and his ministry. And uh, what we read here is that these were believers. They were just wrong on this one point. I think it's really easy for us when we see someone who is maybe off a little bit, somebody who doesn't understand what's going on. It's easy for us to just say, you need to get with the program. You need to get on board. Um, You're just wrong. And they were wrong. And they did need to get with the program. But one of the beautiful things that we see here is we don't read about how they all left the church. I think it's safe for us to say that their thoughts and their opinions about this changed because they submitted to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Now maybe some of them left, but um, I think it's fair for us to believe that they changed their thinking to be in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What can we learn from that? I think about this in terms of of generations. If you're a young person here uh, today, and that's anybody younger than me, um, because I'm still young, uh, don't be so quick to write off older folks uh, or people that uh, have opinions that are different than yours. Um, people have lived a long time. They've got some ideas. And maybe some of them are good. And if you're older, don't be so quick to write off the ideas of younger people with... That's just ridiculous. That's something I would say. Uh, that is, that, that's just, no. Well, how about measuring what they say by the message of the gospel and Christianity and the grace of the Lord Jesus? So those are some of the problems that they face as they made their way to Jerusalem. Um, and one of the things that's beautiful is that Peter stands up. If you look with me in verses 6 and following We get Peter's perspective. After a lot of debate, after a lot of discussion, Peter stood up and he took center stage. He had a lot to offer. He reminded people of his own experiences from Acts 10 and beyond. And he synthesized his thoughts in a powerful way. And here are some of the things that he essentially says. First of all, from verse 7, don't forget what happened. Don't forget what happened. Happened. Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. He's basically saying, I was there. I was with Cornelius when this paradigm shift was made evident to me and others that Gentiles are brought into the kingdom of God through faith in Christ and nothing else. I was there. God shows the Gentiles that they should hear the word of the gospel. What's the word? Any news? Only the best news that the world's ever known and and heard. That we can be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Another thing that Peter says, part of his perspective is this. That this has God's stamp of approval on it. In verse 8, God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. This was part of the confirmation that God was sending the message of the cross to the Gentiles. The Holy Spirit came down upon them in Acts chapter 10 the same way the Holy Spirit came down 
on uh, those folks in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. And it was kind of a, a confirmation, God's stamp of approval, that this is where I'm going, this is what I'm doing, this is part of God's plan. Another thing that Peter talks about as he shares his perspective here is that there's no distinction. Look at verse 9. And God made no distinction between them and us, having cleansed their hearts by faith. We live in a world of distinctions. Whether we like it or not, whether we realize it or not, consciously and unconsciously, there are distinctions all around us and in us and in our own thinking. Class, socioeconomics, status, education, uh, interest, race. There are all sorts of things that are distinctions all across lines, all across life. And part of the wonder of the gospel of Jesus Christ from Acts chapter 10, what was demonstrated there and throughout the gospels is that not only were the Gentiles added to the family of God, they were added to the family of God without distinction, without exception, without a bunch of hoops that they had to jump through in order to be really accepted and loved by God. It was simply through faith in Christ. Look at what the verse says, verse 9, I believe it is. That God cleansed their hearts by faith. There's no longer need for circumcision because God cleansed their hearts by faith. Let's think for a moment. What are some of the hurdles that we put into place What are some of the distinctions that we hopefully unconsciously put before people in order to be part of the church, in order to be loved by God? Do we add unwritten rules about what it means to truly be accepted? Think about how we might change those things. Another thing that Paul, that Peter talks about here is this heavy yoke Verse 10, now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? This is not an egg yoke. This is uh, the thing that you put over horses or oxen to help them pull the wagon or the plow. And Peter, he speaks powerfully here. He's basically saying if we go through with this and allow these people to keep teaching that circumcision is essential to salvation, we're going to place a yoke on the neck of these disciples that we couldn't handle and our fathers couldn't handle. It wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't make sense. This is so powerful and personal. And it's not saying that there was anything wrong with circumcision. It was important in God's plan at the right place. But what Peter and all these other believers knew, and what we know deep down, is that adherence to the law, keeping the law, can never, it has never, it will never be our path toward acceptance with God. You hear what I'm saying there? By us obeying the words of God, that's not how we're made okay with God. We've blown it. we failed. We've already disobeyed. We can't make up for the mistakes that we've made in this world and before God. Some people might say, what's the big deal? Some people want... 
to practice circumcision. Who cares? Well, this is why it matters. Because if we change the gospel message at all, even by adding to it, it makes it null. This is what Paul talks about in in the book of Galatians. He makes it very clear that Christ plus anything else as a formula for salvation, it derails the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we try to be accepted and loved by God by being really good people, and by doing good things, and taking all the good things that we've done, and and gathered them together and say, God, look at what I've done. Now won't you love me? Please love me and accept me. Look at this. It's never going to be enough. In fact, it will lead us to burnout and being exhausted and angry and bitter and entitled. That's why Paul, Peter's summary in verse 11 is so powerful. We believe that we'll be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. This gospel message that they were working out in Acts chapter 15, sometimes it's really hard for us to believe it. Maybe if you're here and you're not a Christian, it may be hard to believe. But it's hard to believe for Christians at times that we're fully and freely accepted by God through what Jesus Christ did. I think it's hardwired into us, maybe because of sin and the fall, to think that we have to earn God's love and God's favor. It's why the gospel needs to be front and center in our lives. We never get over it. We never get over what Jesus has done for us. When things are going really badly, it's hard for us to believe the gospel. When we've fallen on our faces, when we failed, when we've committed that sin again, we think, I'm never really going to be accepted. I'm never really going to be forgiven. I might be able to get into heaven, but I'll definitely be in the cheap seats. God's grace is greater than all of our sins. His blood can make the vilest clean. His blood availed for me. What about when things are going well? When, like, your life, like... Personally and spiritually, you're just firing on all cylinders. Things seem to be going great. What is the insidious lie that creeps in? You know what? You really are something special. I think I finally got it figured out. I finally figured it out. I figured out how to be a wonderful parent and an awesome uh, uh, husband or, or spouse And I figured the Christian thing out. God, you're really lucky to have me on your team. (laughs) We laugh about it, but, but we do think that sometimes. We do think that we're doing so well. And that's why God loves us. Both of those mindsets are harmful. And the gospel of Jesus helps destroy them both. So after Peter finishes uh, speaking, uh, verse 12 says that all the assembly fell silent. No one had anything else to say. And then in God's plan and purpose, Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Paul spoke up. 
And they continued to tell what God had done among the Gentiles. It's beautiful to me how these things fit together. This was not simply a theological debate. It wasn't an intellectual conversation or exercise. The whole thing, this whole conversation is rooted in lives that had been changed by the gospel. Lives that have been turned around by Jesus Christ. So there's, there's the, the truth of it, and there's also the demonstration of people's lives. Christianity is, has been and is established on the truth of God and the reality that God changes people. We, we have a room full of people here, and there are thousands and thousands of others outside of this place whose lives have been changed and are being changed by Jesus Christ. Marriages have been restored or are being restored. Relationships have been reconciled and healed. Deep sins and scars have been forgiven. People who were hopeless and completely trapped in sin or addiction have, been, have grown and they've changed. Fears and insecurities and anger and rage and cynicism and bitterness and so much more has been addressed. Now, it doesn't mean that we're all perfect. There's still a long way to go. God's still changing and transforming us. But part of what Paul and Barnabas were showing here is, yes, what Peter said is true. And God is changing people's lives. We're all works in progress, but God has done Amazing things. And then James stands up from different angles, from different people. They're reinforcing the same message. This is James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus. James who wrote the book of James in the Bible. And he makes the following proposals that are accepted and approved by the council. One of the first things he says is this goes way back. Verses 16 and 17 are quoted from the Old Testament. He talks about the fact that this has been part of God's plan from the very beginning. He's been planning it for a long time. The Gentiles be brought into the kingdom through grace and faith in Jesus Christ. He says basically the same thing that Peter says. Don't trouble the Gentiles. We shouldn't trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. We shouldn't add this yoke upon them. We shouldn't make them follow Jewish customs and traditions. Because they are resting in Jesus Christ. And then in verse 20, we have some of the details of what he proposes that they communicate with these new Christians, these Gentile Christians. And we don't have time to talk about those things this morning. We'll talk about them next week. Next week, they send this letter out to all the Christians, and it's very well received. So from Acts chapter 15, what are some of the, the questions that we can ask ourselves? I think the obvious question is this, are we on the same page as those early disciples, as the apostles, as Peter and James and Barnabas and Paul? Are we willing to humbly and courageously stand up for the gospel of Jesus? Are we on the same page as Barnabas and Paul as they told people about what God was doing in the world? Are we on the same page as Peter who worked through the implications of the gospel for these new converts? He knew that grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ was the most vital thing. 
He wanted that grace of Jesus to be central to these new converts. Are we on the same page? Do we want the grace of God to be central in our lives? Is the work of Jesus and His cross central to who we are and what we believe? Is it something that we come back to on a daily, hour-by-hour, minute-by-minute basis that I need Jesus Christ and I need His grace? If that doesn't make any sense to you here this morning, if it's something that you don't even understand or, or know what that might look like, having the the life and death and resurrection of Jesus as the anchor and bedrock of your soul, I would love to talk to you about what that means. There are other people here that would love to talk to you about what believing in Jesus and resting in Him means. Are we on the same page with one another? Being a Christian and following Jesus Christ doesn't mean that we have to agree on everything. That we have to think all exactly the same way. We have to have all the same likes and dislikes. But I think it it can mean and it should mean mean that we're united in Jesus. That we're united to Christ and we agree on the essentials and the heart of the gospel. and, And we're working to demonstrate and to experience that acceptance, that forgiveness, that reconciliation that Jesus has made possible, demonstrating love and forgiveness and unity in our lives with other Christians the best we can. Basically, are we on the same page about this gospel? And what we get to do this morning, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is a way for us to to experience and profess in a way that, yes, we are on the same page. Some people call it communion because we are united to Jesus and we're united to one another. The gospel prevails and it's our everlasting hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, folks in the church early on working through the implications of what it means to be loved and accepted by God. And I pray that we'd work through those implications as well. And we pray that you bless your words, our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. At this point, we'll take up an offering to support the work and worship of our church. Uh, If you're not a member of our church, feel no obligation to give. Uh, But let's give to God's glory.